The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Hey, welcome to MMA on the Rocks, episode number 22. It is Sunday, November 13th, the day after the UFC made history by having the first ever sanctioned UFC event in New York City at the world's most famous arena, Madison Square Garden. Personally, I'm on a a little bit of a UFC hangover, and it's not from drinking too much. I think my adrenaline was really high for this event. As someone who was born and raised in New York, this was just a really special UFC pay-per-view, and it was definitely an exciting one. It, it didn't disappoint what, whatsoever. Uh, before we get into that, I want to make note of the intro and outro theme song for the show. As always, and I've been getting a lot of questions about this on social media, so I figured I would just address it on the show. Uh, the theme song is performed by an artist out of Hawaii by the name of Kaysen Bon. That's K-A-S-O-N-B-O-H-N. And he graciously made this track to uh, accompany the show. And I think it's awesome. I think it rocks. And I think you guys should check out some of his music. So check it out on SoundCloud. Uh, You can find him just by searching his name, Kaysen Bond. He does some heavy metal stuff like you hear on the show. And he also does some melodic guitar tunes uh, that are really cool. And some of them are pretty trippy. Uh, He does all kinds of styles of music. So check that out. Give him a listen. Give him a share. I'm joined today, as always it seems, by Jeff the Animal Wilson, who got his internet turned back on. So, Jeff, how are you doing? And I'm happy to hear your voice not sounding like you're talking through a paper bag. Bill, I am phenomenal. I managed to catch up on TV this weekend. AC was awesome. I had a nice little extended weekend, so I am phenomenal, except that I have to go back to work tomorrow. Well, you know, that's the nature of these holiday weekends. Did you win any money down in Atlantic City? No, but I also did not lose any money because I decided to just not gamble. It just wasn't worth it. That sounds like a victory to me. I'm not a big gambler either. Um, So I'm trying to... I'm trying to calm down still from this very exciting UFC 205 card. I'm sitting here, I'm sipping a little bit of uh, Los Altos tequila on the rocks and uh, just trying to calm down. I mean, there was so much excitement. I, I wound up staying up until I think 3.30 in the morning watching the press conferences and everything like that uh, just because I couldn't sleep. There was just so much going on with this card so many of these fights didn't really turn out the way we expected. There was a lot of drama, a lot of surprises, and and overall just just a lot of excitement, which is which is so great. I feel so proud as a as a native New Yorker for the performance that these fighters put on, and it really was a special event. I mean, you and I have been MMA fans for a long time, and it just couldn't get sanctioned in New York because of all the old-school crooked politics. But you know what? A few politicians go to jail, and all of a sudden the problem goes away. 
But that's neither here nor there. We don't we don't like to talk about politics too much on this show. It's mostly just booze and fighting. So we'll get right into the event. And I want to ask you, I have two questions, Jeff. Who is the biggest winner on the card? Besides Conor McGregor, obviously, because winning two titles and being the first person to ever hold two titles in two different weight classes simultaneously, making history, obviously, he had the most to gain on this card and he gained the most out of all the fighters here as you look up and down the card who besides connor do you feel walked away the biggest winner on this card and likewise who do you feel walked away as the biggest loser who do you think i hate to put it that way because you know they they all they all put their bodies on the line getting in the cage in there but but who had the most at stake and lost it on this card let's start with with who gained the most what do you think jeff i think that the biggest winner on this card had to be raquel pennington dude uh she put on an awesome performance uh i was absolutely shocked at how well she did against misha tate and uh i was talking about this last episode it was like a student versus master thing and the student definitely became the master last night what a win for her man yeah it was it was an interesting kind of exchange there because it it seemed to be almost like a changing of the guard and I I guess we won't wait to talk about this Misha Tate uh, consequently announced her retirement at the end of this fight now I don't know if that was something that was based on emotions or if it's something that she had thought out Um, but Dana White didn't seem to be surprised and I, I have a feeling that it was something planned, something calculated. I don't think she would just lose a fight and then decide based on that that she was done. I think she had to know in the back of her mind that she was finished. And personally, I respect that decision. Obviously, Misha Tate has been a staple of women's MMA since it started back in Strike Force, And she was the champion over there. Uh, it was great to see her wear the UFC title. Um, but if she feels like it's time to move on, then as fans, I I think we have to respect that. But I I absolutely agree. It was an excellent performance by Raquel Paddington and, and it was a true changing in the guard. And they had a really great moment where they, they kind of embraced at the end of the fight. And that, that photo has been shared a lot. So I, I definitely think that, that she had the world to gain. Do you think this puts her in title contention? This is now four wins in a row in a division where winning streaks are pretty hard to come by these days, ever since uh, Ronda Rousey's infamous winning streak was ended. What do you think it says for her uh, as a title contender, Jeff? Yeah, you cannot overlook her now, man. Uh, She beat the number one chick in the world except for the champ. Uh, So, yeah, you got to give her a title shot after Ronda gets hers. Yeah. And I mean, she does have a her her last loss was a very very close split decision to the former champion Holly Holm. So there's no denying that Raquel Pennington obviously is a top contender, and she would definitely be deserving of a title shot. Um, so we'll see what happens. We'll see what the UFC decides to do with her. Who do you feel like had the most to lose on this card, and and walked away? You know, maybe way down in the chips so to speak okay i have uh two answers for this actually my first answer is probably i think the biggest loser on the card ended up being tyron woodley um he had a great fight with 
Wonder Boy Thompson. But mm-hmm. for his first title defense, I know it was a tough order. It was a very, you know, very difficult task. But I felt like he didn't walk out a winner of that fight. No, he definitely didn't. I know one judge did award him the victory, and there was a lot of controversy around the decision. As I was watching it, and obviously my score means nothing because I'm just a, a guy who who drinks beer and watches the fights. But uh, if anybody wants to count my scorecard, I had uh, Wonderboy Thompson winning three rounds. I had Woodley winning two rounds, but I did give him a 10-8 in the fourth round. Now that would make it a draw. And I think two of the judges saw it that way. The one judge who gave it to Woodley, though, and this is interesting, he gave Woodley a 10-8. But it wasn't in the fourth round, which I found to be bizarre. And obviously, there are a lot of bugs that need to be fixed with the judging in MMA. I feel like this will be a constant issue that comes up again and again. Um, so you see Woodley as as one of the ones who lost the most, but he does still have his title. And he seems to be pretty content with that. Uh, so what's your second answer? Who, who had the most to lose? My second answer is Frankie Edgar, because, yeah, he beat Jeremy Stevens, uh, and I'm super, super excited that he won that fight, uh, especially after he almost got knocked out in the second round. You know, he's he's kind of in uh, the top contenders, I guess, neutral zone, mm-hmm. because, because, okay, yeah, he won his fight. He's probably ranked number one in the world right now at lightweight, but... He just lost to Jose Aldo in his previous fight. So you can't just give him a rematch with Jose Aldo, especially after he's failed twice already. So he's kind of in the top contender's limbo, I want to say. Yeah. So I feel I feel like he had nothing to gain, and whether he won or lost, he had nothing to gain. And unfortunately, while he did win, he I feel like he's not going to get anything. Okay, interesting. Um, I, I saw it a little differently. I saw Chris Weidman as one of the ones who who came away with the most to lose after he did so much to get the sport sanctioned in the state of New York and appearing at court hearings and to lose in such devastating fashion the way he did. Um, I feel like was was really terrible for him and and probably took a lot of the wind out of his sails, but. Let's um let's start with the main event and and work our way down here. I really want to I really want to get um, into a lot of detail with these fights and then where we go from here because there are a lot of unanswered questions. Uh, there are a lot of possibilities. There are a lot of titles that are up in the air now. So <clears throat> let's start with two titles that are occupied right now and and we'll talk about that by bringing up Conor McGregor's performance against Eddie Alvarez, which. You know, I I had a feeling that he could beat him, but I didn't know that he would dominate him the way he did. His striking and his timing and his speed and his composure, everything uh, that of a world-class champion. And Eddie Alvarez wasn't really able to lay a hand on him. Were you surprised at the way this fight played out, Jeff? I was just because of Alvarez's history, man. He's been all over the world. You know, he's fought everywhere. He's won titles in different organizations. And, you know, I just thought he would put up a better fight, you know. So that was surprising to me. Um, I really thought that he would use his wrestling more because 
if there's anything we've learned, it's that Conor McGregor is not someone you want to exchange blows with. You got to right. put him on his back. Yeah, and Alvarez has that kind of brawling style, and Conor was able to just let Eddie's emotions get in his own way, and I feel like that's what happened. Last week we talked about how the way Eddie would lose this fight is if Conor got into his head. And I think that was evident at the press conference the day before the weigh-ins. Eddie seemed a little bit rattled when Conor showed up late to the press conference. And the fans were kind of getting to him and he stormed off the stage. That was kind of the beginning of the end. And he even said that he abandoned his own game plan when he got in there. And he rushed in. And the way to deal with someone rushing in is to box them. And that's what Conor did. He, He baited Eddie to come in and then... He had impeccable timing with his strikes. He throws that left hand from such an odd angle that he didn't even really need to set it up with a jab. He fainted with the jab a lot, but he never really tried to land it. And according to Connor at the press conference last night, I know you didn't get a chance to see it, his right hand was actually injured. He said he wasn't able to use it during his training camp a lot. So that's kind of why he was using the left the way he did and throwing it in such a weird fashion where he was leaning putting all his weight on his front foot in a you know very karate taekwondo kind of stance that he was using which is kind of typical for him but I feel like he was leaning a little bit more forward than he normally does and he was able to throw that left hand with so much force and when he landed it and when he stunned Eddie and knocked him down he didn't get overconfident he didn't swarm on him he didn't rushed to the ground to try and finish the fight. He stayed composed. I think that was the most impressive thing about Connor's performance was his his overall composure and how calm he was able to stay. But he really had the perfect game plan. Eddie didn't. And I think a lot of people criticized him for not using his wrestling. But you know, in a in a traditional sense, Eddie Alvarez is not really a wrestler. He probably has higher uh, grappling credentials than Conor McGregor does, but he's not a wrestler in the way that Chris Weidman is a wrestler or Yol Romero is a wrestler or Khabib Nurmagomedov is a wrestler. Um, you know, Eddie has wrestling experience and he has a lot of great overall MMA skills. He's very well-rounded, but he's not hes not even a, a level of wrestler as like a Chad Mendes. Who, who was able to take Conor McGregor down. And it, even when he did, he, Conor was able to pop back up. And um, Conor may have weak ground skills, but he has excellent takedown defense. You have to remember when he was submitted by Nate Diaz, he was the one who tried to take Nate down when he got rocked. So we've never really seen anybody take Conor down and be able to hold him down anyway. So I don't know if wrestling is necessarily a weakness in Connor's game. Um, maybe his jujitsu is. We don't. We don't really know for sure. You're right. Sorry about that. It's all right. I'm just making a note that at 15 minutes in, uh, Jeff started dying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I drank some water and it went down the wrong pipe. So <clears throat> okay, I'm good now. That's why I only drink booze during the podcast because it always knows the right way to go which don't let me forget at the end of this i want to go over some uh, an interesting whiskey recipe that i want to talk to you about so uh let's get back into that but um so what do you think about all this i i mean in in hindsight it seemed like you know connor really was too much for eddie i mean he was able to get in his head 
uh, Eddie Alvarez is the underground king, but I don't think he's ever been on a stage like this before. Even his title fight against Rafael Dos Anjos didn't have as many eyes on it as this did. Do you think the pressure got to Eddie Alvarez at all? Yeah, yeah. I think Connor really got in his head and just, you know, uh, all the credit in the world to Connor McGregor. I'm not really a fan of his, but you can't deny the man. He's good. He's he's phenomenal. He's amazing. Um, but I I do think that part of the reason that he is so good is his ability to get into people's heads. Yeah. And in the first Nate Diaz fight, which no, which I guess the UFC magically erased from history, Diaz was unfazed basically. You know, and and that's part of the reason he won. Uh, so I feel like Alvarez kind of beat himself before, you know, before he even walked into the octagon. But uh, all the credit in the world to McGregor. I mean, he's got great takedown defense. Uh, anytime that Alvarez went for a shot, it was stuffed like a Thanksgiving turkey, man. Yeah. And, um, and you know, McGregor fought smart. He's very good at timing his punches. We saw that against Jose Aldo. Mm-hmm. And, you know, good for him. You know, he's out there making history. The third man to ever hold two uh, belts in two different weight classes and the first one to do it at the same time. So, you know, more power to him. Yeah, it really is an incredible feat. And a lot of people, I think, were upset that he wasn't stripped of his featherweight title since he hasn't defended it in so long. This is his third fight now outside of the featherweight division. But I think you need to understand that the UFC made a very calculated move there. They wanted Connor to have this opportunity to win both belts at the same time, to have that moment at Madison Square Garden, to throw both belts over his shoulder and jump up on the cage with the Irish flag and have all the Irish fans there from New York. Um, I, it was historic, and from a marketing perspective, that's just the way it had to go down. They couldn't strip him of one of the titles before giving him the chance to have that moment and you know love him or hate him he you have to understand what the UFC is doing there he's the biggest draw in the company easily and um actually last night at the post fight press conference he was saying that he wants an equity stake in the co- in the company if he's going to continue to fight for them and uh he's also hinted at at going up and and taking on Tyron Woodley for the welterweight title I don't think that's actually going to materialize. And I know the the MMA media is is weakly trying to push drama behind this, which I I find a little a little petty on their part. I feel like some of the professionalism is is falling out of the the journalism by by trying to perpetuate this. I mean, there was a there was a video that was going around of Tyron and Connor kind of looking at each other backstage at the weigh-ins and a lot of people were trying to jump to conclusions that they have some kind of animosity towards each other and I don't think that's true at all. I think Tyron would love that fight a lot more than Connor would because it would mean a big payday for him. I, I don't know how they would match up. I don't really want to think about it. At, in my opinion, Connor's going to take some time off. As he said last night as well, he's expecting... A child uh, early in 2017 in, in March I believe so I see him kind of taking some time off unless he's able to negotiate something 
outlandish with the UFC where they actually give him a stake in the company, which who knows? I mean, we have all kinds of celebrities and we don't really know who owns the UFC right now. I mean, uh, Conan O'Brien, Tom Brady, Anthony Kiedis from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. There's been all kinds of names thrown around here. And uh, who knows what they'll do? I mean, uh, Connor's their cash cow and, and... in any case, do you have any thoughts uh, about any of this? Uh, you know, the the welterweight opportunities or Connor fighting, or do you think he's going to take some time off? What's your opinion here, Jeff? Uh, as for the welterweight belt, I don't think that's going to happen. At least not while he's holding two belts right now. Um, maybe you know, maybe it's an opportunity in the future. That would be really cool to see. But uh, I think that Connor McGregor, you know, I think he's earned some time off. Uh, he's been uh, he's been very active, especially since uh, since that Nate Diaz uh, fight and the fight with uh, Jose Aldo. So, you know, I think he's earned it. He's trying to start a family and stuff. So great for him, you know. Uh, at such a young age, he's he's done a lot. You know, yeah. not a lot of people can say that. He's like what, twenty six, twenty seven? He's twenty eight, and yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think he's going to take some time off. I see. The lightweight division having an interim title fight between Khabib um, and Tony Ferguson, I think that's pretty much set in stone. Uh, I don't want to jump to conclusions here, but I don't really see it playing out any other way. I don't think Connor's getting back in there right away, and you can't keep the division on hold, but I don't see the UFC stripping him of either title also. So it'll be interesting how that plays out. and you, and you bring up Nate Diaz, which I I was thinking about this today as far as what else could happen in this division. Obviously, uh, another big money fight would be Nate Diaz fighting Connor for the lightweight title. That would be huge. Uh, whether or not Nate is deserving of a title shot in that weight class is neither here nor there. Um, obviously, that doesn't rankings don't really seem to matter with the UFC and the way they're making matchups these days. What I would like to see is Eddie Alvarez facing Nate Diaz. Uh, I think that would be a phenomenal fight for hardcore fans. I think they both have a lot of eyes on them from casual fans now. Uh, so I think that would be a really big draw. And there's been, you know, some slight trash talk between the two of them. And I think you could really build up a, a solid main event from that. What do, you, what do you think about that fight, Jeff? Yeah, that would be awesome to see, man. Uh, you know, both legends... Absolute legend. So to see them go at it, you know, I I would really enjoy watching that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's move on to another title that's kind of up in the air right now. You know, we, we touched on it briefly, the, the fight that went to a draw between Tyron Woodley and Stephen Thompson. Give me your thoughts on this fight, and then what's your opinion on what should happen in this welterweight division in terms of the title? Obviously, we have... Damian Maya is a clear contender who's kind of waiting in the wings, but this fight did go to a draw. Should there be an immediate rematch? So what did you think about the fight, and then what should happen after that, Jeff? So first off, I thought this was fight of the night. Um, Definitely. And Yeah, and I had it scored in a really similar to how you scored it. I gave three rounds to, to Thompson and two to Woodley. Unfortunately, though, I had to go to the bathroom real quick, so I couldn't. I didn't watch all of uh, the fourth round, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it sounded like uh, it. At least what I saw was from the uh, 
from when Woodley locked up his guillotine on. So it looked like he had a pretty dominant round. Um, but I think that you need to give them a rematch. I think it needs to happen before Demi and Maya gets his shot because last night's fight literally did not prove anything. Yeah, well, I think it proved a lot. I think Stephen Thompson's stock definitely went up because he really showed that he has no quit in him and that he really has the heart of a champion. Uh, personally, I think a lot more highly of Stephen Thompson after this fight because Tyron had him rocked. I mean, he landed a huge right hand on him in that fourth round, and Stephen Thompson did not give up. He worked his way back up. He crawled up the cage, and he was out of it. And then Tyron caught him in a really tight arm in guillotine, and he had him in it for a good 30, 35, maybe 40 seconds. And, and Stephen stuck it out. He refused to tap. He eventually was able to wiggle his head out, and he finished the last minute of that round on top, which is the one argument I could see for not giving Tyron a 10-8 round because, you know, Steven won the last minute of the round. Um, I would still give Tyron a 10-8 simply for the fact that that fight could have been stopped uh, at, at several points in that round, and I think that's enough to warrant a 10-8. But if you don't give him the 10-8, I see this fight going to Steven Thompson, which is why there probably needs to be an immediate rematch. The problem there is the only thing you have to hype a rematch between these two fighters is the actual fight that just happened last night because neither one of them can promote a fight with their words. Steven Thompson is just too polite, too much of a gentleman. He doesn't want to cause any drama. And Tyron's trash talk is very awkward. The way he interacts and the way he reacts to fans not liking him there's just something very off about it. He's very uncomfortable on the microphone, and it becomes very obvious. And there, there's just no way to build this fight to people who didn't see the first fight. So do you make it a main event? I don't, I don't think you can make it a main event on a pay-per-view. Maybe you do it on Fox. Maybe you make it the co-main event on a pay-per-view. I could see that, but I don't really see making this a a pay-per-view main event what do you think jeff yeah i agree um the casual fan who doesn't really know either fighter you're not going to have much to compare these guys to uh so i agree and yeah the trash talking it just, is even for this fight it wasn't that great they were all nice to each other and stuff mm -hmm. and at the end of the rounds uh thompson was helping woodley up and stuff so you know these guys need that it factor and unfortunately neither of them has it so I do not see uh, this being a main event uh, yeah. unless it's a non-pay-per-view uh, night or something. Yeah, absolutely. The other big question mark is who is Tyron Woodley even training with now? We know that he left the American Top Team. We know that he went. He's kind of loosely affiliated with Rufus Sport, but he's also opening his own American Top Team gym. And in the UFC Embedded, he's training in a gym that's basically empty. It looks like they had one heavy bag hanging, and he's hitting it, and he's doing footwork on his own, and he's grappling with his son. Uh, it doesn't seem like he has any consistent training partners, or he's with a camp. He's a little bit of a lost soul here. And he said last night that he would love to have a fight in his hometown of St. Louis, and he thinks it would be a big draw there. So that's something that he's really vying for. 
He's very interested in a fight with Conor McGregor. I don't think he's very anxious to get back in there with Stephen Thompson. I don't think he's very anxious to get in there with Damian Maia either. Uh, he definitely wants to build a legacy. He mentioned George St. Pierre again last night at the weigh-in. Uh, not at the weigh-ins, at the post-fight press conference. And said how you know George St. Pierre would be able to cut the line if he actually committed to fighting again. And he would give him priority for a title shot so it looks like his priorities are there but he said he's going to talk to his management team and things like that you would think that coming off a draw in your first title defense you would want to get that back right away and get in there with that same guy that you went to a draw with and prove that you can beat him because I don't think that he convincingly won that fight I scored a draw but if I had to choose a winner I would say that Stephen Thompson won the fight just because he won three rounds. Even though the the rounds that he lost, he lost in devastating fashion. Um, I, I do think that he outpointed Woodley. He had him rocked a couple of times. In any case, let, let's move on to uh, another title fight that was, that was just off the walls and I think a lot more competitive than a lot of people thought it would be. And that was Ioana uh, Janjacek against Karolina Kovokovic um, in the Inter-Poland grudge match i don't know what do we call this in any case give me your thoughts on this fight jeff dude this was an awesome fight man and uh the first three rounds and the last two rounds of this fight two totally different fights man uh it took carolina a little bit to get warmed up i guess but man that that was a really good fight and good for the women's strawweight division man that was a lot of fun to watch yeah i mean in terms of damage i feel like Joanna really got the worst of it. It looked, she definitely had a broken nose. It looked like she may have had a fractural, uh, fractured orbital on the left side of her face, and then she had a huge hematoma on the right side of her face. Uh, Carolina had a few hematomas as well, but uh, definitely a great, great fight. I thought Carolina had an excellent strategy. She was holding Joanna against the cage a lot, not necessarily trying to get a takedown, but really just trying to get the blood pumping in her arms to take a little bit of the power off of her punches. But as we know, Joanna does not slow down. She actually has a, a stronger pace as the fight goes on. And that's actually what we saw from both of these fighters. Um, personally, I would love to see an immediate rematch. I think this could headline a pay-per-view. I think you have a grudge match potential here. Um, we didn't talk about it last week, but they have actually fought in the amateur circuit in Poland and Joanna submitted Carolina with a rear naked choke. Um, if they were to meet again, I I would see it going a little bit differently. I mean, you know, the the wild card here is that Joanna did change camps right before this fight, and a lot of people disagree with that strategy. Obviously, she has some excellent training. She's at American Top Team. She moved to Florida, but you know, some people have the philosophy of if it, if it's not broke, don't try to fix it. So. You know, she was dominating people, and then, uh, I don't know, Dana White had mentioned having Carolina face Claudia Gedalia. Uh, you have Jessica Andrade in there, who I think could potentially step in there and face Ioana. She's coming down from 135, and she's looked great at 115 so far. So I can't really see denying her the title shot. I personally would love to see an immediate rematch, but, you know, all of these fights uh, sound appealing to me. Whether you put Andrade in there to fight for the title or you have Carolina and Gedalia go at it. Uh, what are your thoughts, Jeff? How do you see this division playing out right now? I got to be honest with you. I'm not sure. It's looking a lot like uh, Mighty Mouse in the flyweight division. 
mm-hmm. where Joanna's Yo- just beating everybody in front of her. Um, what I do want to see, though, and I don't want to see this immediately, but I do want to see this at some point, is that rematch between Carolina and Joanna. Because after the first three rounds, uh, and in very in particular the fourth round, um, Carolina was taking it to Joanna, man. Yeah. Uh, if if Carolina could do that for maybe another two rounds, I I think that we would be talking about a different result today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, she looked fantastic, especially late in the fight after you know taking so much punishment. The the way that she was able to bring the fight to Joanna, who we all know gets stronger as the fight goes on. And the fact that Carolina was actually able to come back and and score points the way she did late in the fight and do a lot of damage to Yuana really speaks to her heart and her character. It'll be interesting to see what they do with this division. Unfortunately, because of the structure of women's MMA in the UFC right now, there's no opportunity for any super fights. So it's not like Yuana can move up because you're talking about moving up 20 pounds the next weight class so it's not like she can go and challenge for that title because it's just those girls are just too big so and i've been advocating this for a while i really think they need to add a 125 pound division i think we would have seen fighters like misha tate have success there and you know there's just too much of a gap between those two divisions they need to add another one and uh, hopefully they do that soon um, so another division that has a little bit of drama surrounding it, <laughs> go figure, is uh, the middleweight division. So Yoel Romero with a very impressive, devastating third-round knockout, probably one of the most devastating knockouts uh, we've seen uh, in the UFC against Chris Weidman, who I thought was winning the fight. I thought Weidman looked great. I thought he had an excellent game plan. He was keeping his distance. He even took Romero down in the first round, which I thought was a huge deal. Romero popped right back up, but the fact that Weidman was able to take down an Olympic caliber wrestler like Romero, who was on the the Cuban Olympic wrestling team, really made a statement. And I feel like uh, Weidman's wrestling is very underrated. Obviously, he was he was an All American. But his MMA wrestling is just so smart, and he has such great strategy behind it, and I thought he used it really well. And I I really had Romero down in this fight until the third round when he came with the flying knee from hell and cracked Weidman's skull open like an egg, and he was just gushing blood. I mean, that was, that was a devastating cut. What was your reaction to this fight, Jeff? And do you think... Romero is deserving of a title shot now. Dude, I was actually really concerned for Weidman because he, like you said, he was leaking blood, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, it was all over his shorts and it went down onto his body. It looked bad, man. Um, and that was one of the more devastating kills we've seen. And, you know, we talked about this before. Yo, Romero, so athletic. And, you know, he timed that knee so well. And like you said, Weidman was, I thought Weidman was winning the fight. He was fighting a great fight. Yeah, and Romero just came out of nowhere and pang, you know. But uh, so far, I think Romero is deserving of a title shot. Uh, he's beaten a lot of top guys. He's also up there in years, so uh, the UFC might have no choice but to give him a title shot, unless Bisping calls out uh, the winner of Ronda Rousey and Amanda Nunez. <laughs> Yeah, I was saying yesterday that uh, Bisping wanted to call out Mighty Mouse. Um, (laughs) And we joke about that. Obviously, if you guys listened uh, last week or two weeks ago, we talked about how Bisping 
was looking to fight George St. Pierre, who obviously is a weight class below him. But then when he was called out by Jacare Souza, he said he was too injured to fight right now. Um, so that doesn't really look great if you're the champion and you're denying someone in your weight class while calling out someone a weight class below you. Granted, it would be a much larger payday and he's concerned for providing for his family and everything like that. But as a champion, you just don't look good. You know, I'm healthy enough to fight this smaller guy, but I won't accept a challenge from a guy in my weight division. So uh, Bisping not looking like the greatest champion right now, especially after coming off a fight against the number 14th ranked fighter who's 47 years old because you're looking to redeem a loss from 10 years ago. But in any case, a lot of drama surrounding Yoel Romero uh, obviously notorious for cheating in many different ways. There was the stool gate where he was basically TKO'd by Tim Kennedy in 2014, and he couldn't get off his stool to start the third round. And his team was able to stall and get him an extra couple of minutes. And Tim Kennedy had a huge adrenaline dump because he thought he had won the fight, and then he had to get back in there with Romero, who subsequently knocked him out. Um, we've talked about this several times on this podcast and said that we don't really consider that a loss for Tim Kennedy and we don't really consider it a win for Yoel Romero, even though it is technically on his record. There was some controversy last night in the Weidman fight as well, where Romero got poked in the eye and then his corner men came over and poured some water on him, which is not allowed. If you get poked in the eye, you're allowed five minutes to recover, but you're not allowed to interact with your corner or get any advice whatsoever. And you're definitely not allowed to have them pour water on you. And they also intentionally dropped ice, it seems, in the octagon in between the second and third round, which means that Romero would get some more time to recover because somebody would have to come into the octagon and clean up the ice. And that would postpone the fight you know, for a couple of seconds or whatever it is that would give Romero some more time to recover. So he's kind of notorious for these kind of dirty tricks where he tries to get an advantage and get a little bit more rest. Um, and Wyman knew that going in and his team told him, you know, you know, this stuff is going to happen. It's going to be BS, but you got to kind of ignore it and don't get upset by it. And uh, I think he did a good job of that. I think for the most part, he was composed. He got caught. He got caught with a big shot from a big guy. And, um, you know, a lot of people thought Romero's antics after the fight were a little inappropriate as well. Jumping over the cage and marching around like a soldier is a little bit disrespectful to his opponent. But um, any thoughts on any of that, Jeff, the the cheating or the, the post-fight antics by Romero? Yeah, I didn't notice the the in between rounds thing, just because you know I was using the bathroom and as trying to go as as much as I could in between rounds, so I didn't miss anything. <clears throat> but I mean, I, I don't know what you do about that. You know, it's it's up to the UFC to to take a look at the case and see what they can do, but. Uh, I definitely agree with you on the disrespect thing, man. It's just not a good look. Uh, you know, Chris Weidman is clearly hurt, and this guy's marching around like it's a parade. And yeah. uh, that's stuff like that I cannot stand. Um, you know, the whole thing about fighting is you're humble in, in victory or defeat. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and to go back to Conor McGregor, 
you know, as much as a, as he is kind of a jerk a lot of the times, he never insults his opponent after he wins. Yeah. You know, in the buildup, he's he's a jerk and stuff. But, you know, that's part of his game plan. That's part of his fighting style. But at the end of the day, he, he always thanks his opponent for, for fighting and, and all that. So, you know, just just be just have some sportsmanship, man. Mm-hmm. That's not a lot to ask. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, it, and it's definitely not someone you want to consider uh, contending for the title. Obviously, someone who has tested positive for PEDs in the past and who doesn't really showcase spectacular sportsmanship is not someone you really want representing the division but in either case uh, a very impressive victory for Yoel Romero uh, come from behind win and he was able to land a big shot and he showed a lot of heart in that fight because he was losing and he was able to come from behind and and KO one of the greatest middleweights of all time without question in Chris Weidman and do it in his home state of New York uh, unfortunately for Weidman, but fortunately for Weidman, he did seem okay. He did get some stitches in his head, but he appeared at the post-fight press conference and he seemed lucid and he was able to communicate well. So luckily he didn't sustain a, as serious of an injury as it seemed. So the next fight down the card, Raquel Pennington, we already got into a huge win over Misha Tate, who unfortunately announced her retirement. Uh, and then something we also touched on briefly, Frankie Edgar, Defeating Jeremy Stevens, and we talked about this last week, where Jeremy Stevens had the world to gain from this fight, and Frankie Edgar had the world to lose from this fight, because I don't believe Jeremy Stevens is even ranked in the featherweight division yet, because he's only had one or two fights there, and Frankie Edgar defeating him is great. You know, for hardcore fans, you think, wow, he was able to avoid the the power shots of Jeremy Stevens. He had some spectacularly timed takedowns in that fight, and he really looked great. I, I think he dominated the whole fight, and he was really a, a, able to avoid any serious damage. There was a lot of drama in this fight with eye pokes and groin shots and things like that from, from both sides. But what do you do with Frankie Edgar here? Well, I know we talked last week about him moving down to bantamweight. I know you agreed with me when I said that, and I would have loved to see him do it off of a win. The only fight I really see for him at featherweight right now would be to face Ricardo Lamas, who's coming off of a big win, uh, because all the other top featherweights are occupied, and you can't really put him back in there with Jose Aldo, who doesn't, who may not even want to fight anymore if he doesn't get his rematch with Conor McGregor. So what do you do with Frankie Edgar, and then what do you do with Jeremy Stevens? Well, Jeremy Stevens, we saw a lot of brightness uh, out of him. We saw his his very very uh considerable knockout power uh which frankie edgar was almost at the end of mm-hmm. but uh so jeremy stevens you know give him give him a couple more fights maybe guys ranked a little lower because frankie edgar is a tall order for anybody in that lightweight division uh i'm featherweight i'm sorry and uh as for frankie uh i'd like to see him fight max holloway but max holloway is okupado Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to see him, uh, I, I guess the only fight you can really give him at the moment is Ricardo Lamas yeah. or maybe, you know, uh, he's not, he doesn't have any fights coming up. So I'd like to see that. Yeah, that'd be an interesting fight. The The only other thing I could see doing with him is if 
Jose Aldo decides to retire and he's not going to fight anymore, then you have Frankie Edgar face the winner of Max Holloway and Anthony Pettis for, I guess, another interim title, uh, unless Conor McGregor is stripped. Um, So you kind of have a mess with that division right now, but uh, a lot of great competitors there. The other thing I would love to see is Frankie Edgar going off of a win down to bantamweight and I, I think he would be deserving of an immediate title shot. So give him the winner of um, Dominic Cruz and Cody Garbrandt. Um, you know, that would leave someone like TJ Dillashaw waiting in the wings. But, um, you know, a tough shit, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think... A fight between Frankie Edgar and Dominic Cruz would be huge. I think it's a big draw. I think it could headline a pay-per-view. And I think it's really interesting. I, I know he could easily make 135. And I, I would personally would like to see him drop down because the, the featherweight division is a little bit too muddy right now. Uh, something else that's a little bit muddy, and we kind of touched on this as well, is the lightweight division. So we saw an absolute thrashing of top contender Michael Johnson by... Khabib uh, Nurmagomedov and one of the complaints about Khabib is that he hasn't fought top competition in a while obviously he beat the former champion Rafael dos Anjos and uh, he beat the crap out of him I mean ragdolled him for the entire fight Um, but since then he was on and off with injuries and he's very young, which is concerning. So coming in against a a top ranked contender, even though he was 23 and 0, there was a little bit of concern there, especially with the devastating knockout that Johnson had over Dustin Poirier in his last fight. And I, I thought Johnson was getting the better of the fight on the feet, but once Khabib got his hands on him, this fight wasn't even fair. This fight, actually, I feel like Michael Johnson got one of the worst beatings on this entire card. The way Khabib held him down and trapped his arm and just thrashed him with so many blows that went without a response uh, was borderline scary. And then supposedly he was going over to Dana White in between every round and yelling at him, where's my fucking belt? Where's my fucking belt? And it doesn't look like Connor's in a hurry to get in there and defend the title. So... What was your reaction, Jeff, to this fight between uh, Khabib and Michael Johnson? And what do you do with this division going forward? Uh, dude, first off, Khabib, I'm going to try and say his name, Nurmagomedov. Yeah, Nurmagomedov. Right? Okay, uh, close enough. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so Khabib is freaking scary, bro. I mean, we've seen him uh, beat some, some top competition before, but what he did to Michael Johnson is barely street legal, dude. Yeah. Um, you know, it was scary to watch. I'm glad the ref stopped it when he did because after that second round, I I thought he was gonna. I thought he should have stopped in the second round. Yeah. Well, um, Johnson tapped. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, for some reason I thought that it was a TKO. But yeah, I remember that. Um, okay. Uh, <clears throat> moving on. Uh, yeah, I remember it was a submission. And, dude, eating that Johnson took was, was a little scary. Mm-hmm. And then that, um, he caught him with kind of like a Tabora. Mm-hmm. And it was scary. I mean, even Joe Rogan, I don't know if you could hear this because you were at a bar, I believe. Yeah. But uh, Joe Rogan was saying, please tap. Just please tap because his arm is going to break. Yeah. And I'm sure he had at least 
like some ligament damage from that the way he really cranked uh michael johnson's shoulder there and johnson was barely able to tap i don't know if he was verbally tapping but he was able to just kind of flick his fingers a little bit and luckily the referee stopped it but yeah just absolute domination by khabib Nurmagomedov. i mean his his guard passing and his top control are are top tier in the world uh bar none uh I mean, once he gets on, once he gets a hold of somebody, you're going to the ground. I think there was only, there was only one time where Michael Johnson was able to evade a takedown once Khabib, you know, uh, got a good hold on him. And Michael Johnson is a very high level wrestler as well. Um, so Khabib definitely scary, scary grappling skills, like the thing of nightmares. And I, I mentioned this earlier. Uh, what I see happening is is an interim championship fight between Khabib and Tony Ferguson and obviously the winner of that is gonna rightfully be able to call out Conor McGregor and say he's ducking or or whatever the case but um I definitely see Conor taking some time off I don't see Khabib or Tony Ferguson taking time off so this fight makes the most sense to me going forward um another big winner on the card um was uh, Tim Bocht who, you know, like I had said last week, when he's on, he's on, and when he's off, he's off, and he was able to to land uh, one of his trademark barbarian blows on Rafael Natal and uh, put him to sleep, basically. So uh, any reaction to that fight, Jeff? Man, uh, I was just, I couldn't believe it. First round, you know, Natal, it looked like he was a little shaky, and then Tim Bosch just unrelentless power dude Mm -hmm. he just bang uh and like you said when he's on he's on and he was on last night man good win for him uh natal very game competition so very good win for him yeah definitely uh very exciting and then uh vicente luque big knockout victory over Bilal muhammad i'm sure you regret uh changing your pick on that one last week (laughs) but uh not much else to say there i mean Bilal muhammad uh top competitors so Vicente Luque looking great there and then uh the other fight that was very interesting and and was very exciting and gave me a little bit of anxiety was Jim Miller against Tiago Alves um I, I was I hate to have any sort of bias especially you know since I've started doing this podcast I try not to you know pull for any specific fighter or kind of give my opinion over who I want to win but the fact that Tiago Alves missed weight by so much and the fact that Jim Miller agreed to gain weight so that he could still compete against Alves because the way the athletic commission works is you have to be within five pounds of your opponent now Tiago Alves weighed in I believe at 167 pounds for a contest that was slated at 155 pounds which is just a disgrace uh, I mean, this is a guy who has had trouble making weight when he was a welterweight. Um, I, I don't see any reason not to cut this guy at this point. He's been very inactive. He struggled to make weight at 170, and even when he allegedly slimmed down to become a lightweight, uh, he didn't even come close. Uh, I mean, it, to me, that just shows that he didn't care at all. He knew he was fighting at this weight for a long time now. He had plenty of time to prepare. Uh, There's really no excuse that you could give. But 
uh, you can't help but root for Jim Miller in that situation because the guy just loves to compete. And he uh, he broke the record last night, I believe, for most wins in lightweight history. And the fact that he stepped up and and still fought a guy who was much bigger than him, who's very dangerous. Obviously, we know Tiago Alves has dangerous knockout power in both hands and both feet. Um, it, it just you can't help but root for Jim Miller in that situation. And the fact that he was able to control Tiago Alves the way he did and avoid his big power really speaks to um, Miller's heart as a competitor. The fact that he was he got in there and he was still able to do what he did against a much bigger opponent. What were your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Dude, I loved it. I loved. I always love watching Jim Miller go to work. And mm-hmm. Jim Miller fought smart, man. He, he waited a little bit, uh, really avoided some really big shots from uh, Tiago Alves. But um, I think that one of Miller's best weapons was how well he timed his takedowns. Yeah. You know, he waited he waited for a combination, waited for an opening, and then, bang, put uh, Alves on his back. Mm-hmm. So all the credit in the world to him and for gaining weight. You know, it's hard to lose weight as a fighter, but it's also hard to gain weight, especially in that short amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the last fight we'll talk about is the uh, first fight on the card. And I just want to give a mention to how much respect there is for women's MMA. Because the first fight on the card, so the first UFC fight in New York City was a women's MMA fight. The first fight on pay-per-view in New York City was a women's MMA fight uh, between Misha Tate and Raquel Pennington. And then the first UFC championship fight on pay-per-view in New York State was a women's MMA fight between Ioana and Carolina. Um, So I think those three facts uh, really speak to how far the sport of women's MMA has come, uh, especially uh, lately. And we we got to see a a talented young up-and-comer in Caitlin Chukagian last night take on the veteran in Liz Caramouche. And um, Liz Caramouche looked absolutely dominant in the first two rounds, and I think it was the first time uh, Caitlin was really shown some adversity. And I, I think she showed a lot of potential, the way she was able to come back. I thought she won the third round convincingly. Uh, so the fact that she was able to face some adversity from such a seasoned veteran like Liz Caramouche, who you know, was the first female to ever enter the octagon uh, in the UFC when she welcomed uh, Ronda Rousey in her debut fight, uh, really spoke to Caitlin Chukagian's heart, and I think she's got a bright future. Uh, I'm excited to see her fight again, and I think uh, Liz Caramouche definitely had a big feather in her cap by uh, uh, taking on this this fairly newcomer. Uh, so what was your reaction to this one, Jeff? This was a really enjoyable fight, Bill. Awesome way to start uh, the the card at MSG. Uh, good stuff from both sides, but I agree. Uh, I think Chukagin has a really bright future, man. We saw mm-hmm. some sparks of greatness in her last night. Uh, her striking is awesome. You know, her, her grappling, you know, it's still it's good. Still needs a little bit of work, but uh, she's got a really bright future, man. Yeah, definitely. I believe she's a, a purple belt or a brown belt uh, under Hanzo Gracie, and she comes from a great camp. Uh, I know she's she's trained a little bit with Mark Henry uh, and those guys who, for those who don't know, Mark Henry trains the likes of uh, Frankie Edgar. So definitely one of the top coaches 
uh, in the UFC. So big things to come um, from Caitlin Chukagian and probably, you know, still some gas in the tank for Liz Karamouche to possibly make a title run here. I mean, she looked phenomenal uh, last night, uh, except for that third round there. But yeah, so it really special card, a really special event. Uh, again, I'm so proud that MMA has been sanctioned in my home state and that these fighters put on such an amazing card. Uh, I was in St. Petersburg, Florida, which is about 35, 40 minutes from where I live now. And I was watching this at a, at a local bar there and I was enjoying some local craft beer and even being so far away from where this was taking place, it, it still had a really special place for me. And it was a really special event, uh, considering that, you know, I spent most of my life living in, in and around New York. So just fantastic. And I'm really looking forward to some more great events taking place in New York. There are so many great venues, including Madison Square Garden, the Barclays Center. And uh, there's an event scheduled in Albany, New York at the Pepsi Arena, I believe, which uh, I, I went to college in Albany, New York, so I saw a lot of events up there. I, I think there's just so much potential, and I, I know New York has a great fan base, and it was just awesome to see an event like this uh, put together and kind of culminate. So to get into the uh, On the Rocks portion of the show, something I want to talk about is, is something that I did during the week last week. So there's a local market by me who they cure and smoke their own bacon. Are you interested yet? Uh, dude, I was interested as soon as you said bacon. <laughs> yeah, so this local market is really is really awesome. It's like a small supermarket and uh, they make their own bacon. They cure it and they smoke it there and it's super thick cut. I mean, it, I don't know how to put a measurement on it, but um, if you buy a package of it, it comes with like five slices, and I think it's like half a pound or something like that, just those five slices. So super thick cut bacon. So I cooked some of it, and uh, I, I took the fat that rendered out of it when I cooked the bacon, and I had this bottle of whiskey that I bought, and I wasn't completely thrilled with it. And I'm not going to mention the name of it because, like I said, I like to keep things positive here on MMA on the Rocks. I really only endorse products that I enjoy or that I consume myself. Uh, as you're well experienced with, Jeff, <laughs> since you've you've done many live episodes of the podcast, you know that I only talk about things that I, that I like. So I had this bottle of whiskey and um, I wasn't too crazy about it. So what I did was I took the fat from that um, that smoked and cured bacon and I added it to the whiskey. Now the way you do a bacon infused whiskey, have you ever experienced a bacon infused whiskey, Jeff? No, and I'm not entirely sure why. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought the first time I tried it too. Uh, they they work great in old fashions if you make old fashioned cocktails, or you know I prefer it just on the rocks, obviously, hence the name of the show. So you take the fat from the that you render from the bacon, and in this case, you know, very special kind of bacon, and uh, you very carefully add it into a bottle or another glass container with the whiskey. And what you have to do is let it sit for at least two weeks, and you have to take it at least 
once or I would say twice a day and shake the bottle up because what will happen is the fat will float will rise to the top obviously because of you know the the chemistry the chemical uh, construction of the bacon fat and the whiskey and you know the fat rises to the top so you got to shake it up I would say twice a day for about two weeks and then you you strain it out a couple of times and then what you have is some bacon infused whiskey so this is not necessarily something that I can talk about tasting firsthand uh, this is the second time I've tried it but uh, the first time I did it was just with some generic bacon and some generic whiskey so uh, I'm trying it with this special, you know, locally smoked, locally cured bacon, and I'll let you know how it turns out in a couple of weeks, and I and I should have a batch of it ready to go by the time you come down to visit next month, so uh, we can sip on some of that, you know, uh, on the rocks uh, while we do an episode live here while you're while you're down here to visit, and uh, in addition to taking you to some of the local breweries that I've I've come to know and love and and enjoy uh, quite regularly. Um, so some bacon whiskey in the future, Jeff. What are your thoughts? Dude, I love the sound of that. And speaking of, I was actually sipping on some Jameson last night while I was watching. Uh, I thought I'd take it to a classic uh, favorite of ours. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. I was oh, enjoying it. Oh, yeah. There's nothing wrong with little Jameson. That's like... Uh... It's like uh, comfort booze. It's a, it tastes like home, especially with uh, Conor McGregor fighting last night. You can't go wrong. So I understand you took a shot last night for every pick that you got wrong last week. So do you want to tell our audience here what your overall record was with your picks at UFC 205? So uh, the final score, Bill, was uh, five wins uh, with my picks. Uh, which I'll actually just run through really quick. I had five losses and one draw with the Thompson fight. Um, so what I was doing is I was taking a shot every time one of my fighters won. But anytime something I liked happened, I took a shot as well because I don't need an excuse, Bill. All right. So uh, did you also <laughs> take a shot for that draw between uh, Woodley and Thompson? I did, but I only took the shot because of how good the fight was. All right. Excellent. Sounds like a yes. great strategy. All right. So 5-5-1, five, five, and one, not too bad. So... Uh, I mean, if you were betting based on Jeff's picks, then you broke even. You went 500. And if you were betting against Jeff, um, you broke even too. So <laughs> congratulations, whether you, you took Jeff's advice or not. It sounds like you didn't lose any money, uh, much like Jeff last week at, uh, in Atlantic City. Uh, so, Jeff, any other kind of closing thoughts on UFC 205 on bacon whiskey on our awesome fucking soundtrack from case and bond which who you should check out on soundcloud um anything on any of this yeah um first off the bacon infused whiskey sounds delicious mm -hmm. and two i actually was going to ask you about uh the theme song because it's really enjoyable uh I mean, that's part of the show's charm, dude. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Kaysen is an amazing musician, and he's a really rocking guitar player. He, he really makes some awesome stuff, and I definitely appreciate him uh, putting together this song for and allowing me to use it because I, I really feel like it. It puts a show together. I get so actually hyped up from the from the outro every time I edit an episode and I and I add that in there. 
it gets me so amped up that I want to go and, and do something athletic, but then I just, you know, finish whatever I'm drinking and, and post the episode. <laughs> All right. In any case, uh, a great event, a great episode. Thank you for joining the show once again, Jeff. And um, if you disagreed with anything Jeff had to say or you want to yell at him, because of the bets you made based on his picks last week, you can get in touch with Jeff at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. And if you want to get in touch with me, as always, it's at MMA on the Rocks, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, MMA on the Rocks.com. If you're listening anywhere else, you can find the show on iTunes. You can find it on Google Play. You can find it on Stitcher or any other podcast app. If you're digging the show, please... Uh, leave us a review and a rating. Let us know what you think on social media or on your favorite podcast app. And that's all we got for this week. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.